Good morning, Oakwood. What a great time of worship together this morning and getting to witness a new uh, baptism, a new sister in the Lord. Just a great time to be a, a part of God's church. Well, we've been in a series, and today is part three of that series called Love Can. The first week we talked about how love can rescue my relationships, um, how, how love and the way we live out God's kind of love can restore marriages, it can restore family relationships that are broken, friendships that are broken. Uh, and, and then last week we talked about how love can overcome my circumstances. And we talked about uh, when we are part of God's family, um, we don't have to live in fear anymore. Um, because God's love, he loved us so much, he gave us Jesus that we can overcome any circumstance in our life as long as we have Jesus. And this week we're going to be talking about how love can shape my purpose. How love can shape my purpose. I, I'm just curious if any of you knew this a fact. Um, I guess I've, I had thought of it before, but uh, in doing some of my research this week for the message, I stumbled across it. Did you know that there are actually English words that are added to the dictionary every year? Every year, they add words to the English dictionary. I was like, okay, so to kind of contemporize our language, you know, um, they got certain categories and criteria, but um, we add these words. And so I, I was, was going to start this morning by just showing you some words that have been added to the dictionary over the last few years. So here's the first one. Have you ever seen this word before? Binge watch. Binge watch. Okay, that wasn't a word a few years ago. A binge watch or binge watching. What that is, is watching multiple episodes of a television program in rapid succession. Okay, now, we could not do this when I was a kid. We didn't have the technology to do this. I mean, you waited until every, you know, every week to see your next program. You couldn't watch them in rapid succession. But I love old TV because I think old TV is good TV. And I got to thinking, wouldn't it be fun uh, to do some binge watching of some of these television programs? Happy Days. Remember, yes, uh, Fonzarelli there, Laverne and Shirley. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chips Patrol, Eric Estrada, you know. How about, how about a binge watch of the Dukes of Hazard? Yeah, the A-Team, Knight Rider. How about Linda Carter as Wonder Woman? Shows like Charlie's Angels, Dallas, Dragnet, Get Smart, Gilligan's Island. How about Green Acres? Hogan's Heroes. The Love Boat, Mork and Mindy, My Three Sons, and maybe even The Waltons. Binge watch some of those programs. But it's amazing because uh, that is a word that's just, just come about because the, the, the culture has changed. We use that word now, and that's actually become a term. You can see that in the latest dictionaries. There's, there's another uh, word that they've added within the last few years. Um, see if any of you know this word, what this word means. Showrooming. Showrooming. Anybody know what that word means? Been added to our dictionary. Not, not many, that's like first service. Showrooming is the practice of visiting a shop or shops in order to examine a product before you go buy it online. <laughs> Showrooming. Okay? Now, I didn't know there was actually a, a, a term for this. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes you find it at a lower price, but a lot of people will go to uh, a place of business and try to look at it. Find out what they want, find out what size or whatever they want, whatever the product is, the, the color, and then they'll try to go find online at a lower price. So that's called showrooming. Uh, this next word, I'm not even going to say it because I think it's embarrassing. It's like, yeah, way to go, America. Way to, way to go with that one. But then there's another word that comes after, after this one, and, and it's the word selfie. Have you ever seen or heard of the word selfie? That is actually in the dictionary now. 
had to put it in the dictionary. And what a selfie is, is a selfie is a picture taken of one's self. Believe it or not, that was actually proclaimed, it was the word of the year in 2013. The word of the year, selfie. Now there are many times where I think it's handy to have your camera or your phone and have a camera on it, get it out, take a picture of yourself. I mean, that's, that's legitimate sometimes. You know, if you're, if you're, at, um, if you're in, in Norman at the OU football game and you want people to know, hey, I was actually here. You know, I've done it a couple times with famous people when uh, the concert for King and Country came into town. I actually got to go backstage and, and meet those guys because the church was on the promotion side of that. We were helping promote it. I actually got to go back and meet them, and so I actually took a picture with one of the singers there. So sometimes, you know, a selfie comes in handy. You know, if you're at Arrowhead Stadium with the Kansas City Chiefs, you might take a picture there just to let people know, hey, I was actually here. But I think it also says something about our tendency as a culture to be self-centered when the word of the year is selfie. In fact, our Western culture has become so selfie-obsessed I found an article that was talking about black cats and how they're now being abandoned by their owners because they do not show up well in selfies. I'm not making this up. This is online. Owners are just getting rid of their black cats. Now, if you know me, I'm not a cat person. I have no love for cats, so it makes no difference to me. But I'm like, really? You're getting rid of your cat because it doesn't show up well in selfies? People actually have posted that. I think the selfie is maybe just a reflection of a deeper issue that is facing our culture today. It's a reflection of this pervading belief that my purpose, my reason for being on this planet, my reason for existing in life is ultimately about me, myself, and I, and about nobody else. We are all encouraged to live lives that are focused on satisfying yourself, on making yourself happy on making sure that you get all of the desires that you have. But this lack of purpose outside of myself is not working. The Huffington Post reported this. People putting the greatest emphasis on being happy, on making themselves happy, reported 50% less frequent positive emotions, 35% less satisfaction about their life, and 75% more depressive symptoms than people who had their priorities elsewhere. We are a culture obsessed with making me, myself, and I happy. But making the purpose of our life to just be about making yourself happy is ironically leaving us less happy and more depressed. How about that? Erwin McManus, in the book Soul Cravings, he said this, All of us long to become something more than we are. We are driven to achieve, moved to accomplish, fueled by ambition. It burns hotter in some than in others, but it is within all of us. We're all searching for our unique purpose, our divine destiny. I think if we were to really drill down deep this morning and and really think about this and really reflect upon our lives and be honest. I think deep down inside all of us, there's this desire that we know there's something more. We want to become something more. Deep down inside every person, we want to know the purpose of life. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? We are always in search of meaning. This morning, I want you to understand that love can move me beyond my own selfie world to find a purpose that is more meaningful more compelling and more life-giving than trying to make myself happy. And we're going to look 
at someone in the Bible who had their complete world changed. They were probably living the selfie life. And then they met Jesus. And the love of Jesus changed them like love can only change when God is in it. And he experienced that love could shape our purpose in life. And this is the story of Zacchaeus. So the sermon's going to be a little shorter today. Um, If you would... Oh, good. Some of you got that. All right. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. It actually is going to be a little shorter today, but that's okay. No pun intended. Luke chapter 19. If you didn't bring your Bible, grab that Bible right there in front of you. Turn it to page 878. You'll be right there at Luke 19. We're going to begin with verse 1. You can also follow along on your phone or on your tablet. Luke 19. Verse 1, what we're going to do is we're just going to read through this. I'm going to kind of explain the passages we're going through it this morning. And this is what it says. Luke 19, beginning with verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. He is Jesus here. He's traveling with the disciples. If you look later in uh, chapter 19 there at the subheadings, you might see the triumphal entry. Um, So we are right on the verge of Jesus going into Holy Week, uh, going into Jerusalem. Um, He is just days from being crucified. I mean, just days from being crucified. He, he, in the resurrection, that's all happening very, very close to this time. So he's actually on his journey to Jerusalem uh, to suffer all those things and fulfill all the prophecy there. And, and here he is in verse 19. He's going through Jericho. And he was just supposed to be passing through. But watch what happens here. Verse 2, it says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So right there in verse 2, we learn two things about Zacchaeus that we need to understand because it's significant. The first thing was that he was a chief tax collector, okay? Now, we've talked before about tax collectors and what that meant back at this time. Well, he was actually a chief tax collector, so that means he was kind of the regional manager of all the tax collectors. And so what the tax collectors did is they were Jews, they were collecting taxes for the Roman government. And basically, Rome had gone to them and said, hey, we want X number of dollars out of, out of every citizen. Okay, we want X number of dollars out of them, and then whatever you guys want to do, do whatever else you want to do. And so these guys were known to be crooked. They would take extra money, put it in their own pockets, which is why, in verse 2, it says that he was not only a chief tax collector, but he was also rich. Now, a chief tax collector would also get kickbacks from other tax collectors. That's something else that was going on here. So because he was the chief, he would go to some of his subsidiary tax collectors and say, hey, when you're taking taxes, I want 4% of everything that you're collecting. Uh, when you, you know, shave off the top of when you're collecting from people, I want 4% from every person too. So that's why he was probably extremely wealthy because of his position. Now look what it says in verse 3. It says about Zacchaeus here. It says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Couldn't even see Jesus because he was small in stature. We don't know how tall he was, but we know he couldn't see over the crowd. He was small in stature, which presented a problem. If you wanted to to see Jesus and maybe have some kind of contact with him or, or just to lay eyes on him, I mean, I'm sure that he had heard all these stories about Jesus and he claims to be the Messiah, he claims to be the Son of God. He's done all these different miracles. He's, he's done all these works um, and, and he might preach a really good sermon. So he's probably just, I want to get close to this guy. I want to see what this is really all about. In verse 4, 
It says, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus says, hey, I can't see over the crowd. I'm not even going to get close to Jesus. I'll tell you what, there's this tree that overhangs the path down here. He's going to be coming this way. I'm going to run up there, and I'm going to go climb that tree so I can, so I can see him. And when Jesus came to that place where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, verse 5, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now that is absolutely amazing. Now when I've read this story my whole life and, and, and got to this point where Zacchaeus, he's climbed the tree, Jesus comes along and says, Zacchaeus, what does the song say? Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Maybe you sang that song as a child. I always just thought, how did he know Zacchaeus' name? Well, he's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He knows everything, right? And so, but I, I was reading and studying and thinking about this some more, and, you know, I got this new thought. I was like, you know, one of the disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. And Matthew is from this area, and so if, if Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, it could be that maybe Matthew worked for Zacchaeus for a time. And Matthew had made, made, Jesus had made a difference in Matthew's life. And so maybe when they're coming to town, maybe Matthew said, hey, Jesus, since we're going through Jericho, there's a guy, if we have time, I know you're wanting to get to, to Passover and, and get to Jerusalem, but um, if we have time, I'd love to stop in Jericho and see one of my old friends, Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. He's a little short guy, but I would just love to talk to him because I think you can make a difference in life. I mean, we don't know that any of that happened, but it could have. But for whatever reason, whether it's supernatural because Jesus is all-knowing or because Matthew said, hey, there's a short guy who's a tax collector and I want you to meet him, he calls him by name. Jesus calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. That was a big deal. In other words, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to get to know you. Anytime somebody shared a meal or went to someone's house, that was a sign of intimacy. That was a sign of affection. Now look what it says in verse 6. It says, so he hurried and came down, and he received him. How? How did he receive him? Joyfully. Joyfully. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. He was so excited that Jesus invited him to this. And look what happens in verse 7. It says, and when they saw it, this would be like the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Jews that were the pious Jews, the righteous Jews, the keepers of the law, the ones that never, ever sinned because they were so perfect, just like Jesus. It says, and when they saw this, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And look at what it says then in verse 8. After their disdain for Jesus spending time with a sinner, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. I want you to notice how the, the language has changed here. Before, it was he was seeking after Jesus, and now he's calling Jesus Lord. That word Lord there in the Greek is a word called kurios. And kurios is one that, that means master. Like you have master over someone, like, like someone who's the master of, of their workers, the master of slaves. And so this is a, a sign of devotion to Jesus now. Something's changed here because he went from seeking after Jesus to see who he was to now down here in verse 8, Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord. And look what, look what the change in his life has done. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, which means as a chief tax collector, I'll interpret for you. It, since I have defrauded everyone of everything, <laughs> he says, since I, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In other words, four times, 400% return, I'm going to return 
their money to them. And look how Jesus responds in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. That line about Abraham there is, is not only talking about Zacchaeus' heritage as a Jew, that you know all the Jews came from the seed of Abraham, but also that Abraham is called a man of faith. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, in the Faith Hall of Fame, it is Abraham who's first. He's called the father of the faith and a man of great faith that was revered in the culture. And what Jesus is saying here is because of Zacchaeus' faith, he is also a son of Abraham. Not just because of his blood and his descendants, but because of his faith. He's got the faith of Abraham now. And then Jesus says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Remember, there's scripture that says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes home than over 99 persons that are righteous that don't need to be saved. And Jesus reminds us of that again, that mission and that heart for people who are far from God, people who are away from God. Well, I want to share with you four things this morning that we can learn from this encounter with Jesus and Zacchaeus. And again, our time will be short. Number one is this. Seekers will always find the answers in Jesus. Seekers will always find the answers in Jesus. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, and, and he, this being Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. You know, I, I wonder as I read that passage, why is Zacchaeus so anxious to see Jesus? Was it just because of the fame and everything, or was there some self-reflection that was happening here? You know, I wonder um, if Zacchaeus was feeling that the selfie life was catching up with him finally. That he was starting to wonder, is there more to life than this? Because I have all the money in the world, and I bought all the stuff, and I'm extremely wealthy. But there's got to be more to life than this. Was he hoping that maybe this rabbi they called Jesus, maybe could help him better understand? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Why am I here? Do I have some type of calling that comes from the divine? Had his, had his drive for wealth left him feeling lonely, isolated, now second-guessing the price that he had paid for the way that he was now living? You know, we don't really know what Zacchaeus was thinking here, but we do know what he did. When Jesus was coming through his town, Zacchaeus went to the extent that he actually climbs a tree to see over a crowd to get close to Jesus. He seeks after Jesus. Reminded me of a verse from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This comes on the heels of Jeremiah 29, 11, a, a great verse. You see this printed in Christian bookstores a lot, on t-shirts, a great verse. Um, and and 29.11 says, Behold, um, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And then just a couple verses later, it says, But hey, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I guess that Zacchaeus got there because he found Jesus. Thing we need to remember is that seekers will always find the answers in Jesus. I think of this all the time in my ministry. People that come to me with their problem, come to me with their issue, come to me just have, have lost their life. They hate their life. They don't. They wonder the sin and the consequences of their sins just come up on them, and they're absolutely sick of it. And, and it's like, what? What do I do? The answers are always in Jesus, and seekers will always somehow find their way to a Christian, find their way to a church. 
because somewhere deep down inside of us, it says, I know there's something more here. There's something that I'm missing. Zacchaeus was a seeker. The second thing that we learned from this encounter is that Jesus calls people specifically. Jesus calls people specifically. Look what it says in verse 5 there. It says, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he called Zacchaeus by name. He said, Zacchaeus. He called him very specifically. He didn't say, hey, you there. That's why the invitation to come to Jesus is so personal, I believe. That's why there are times that I've had people say through the years, you know, sometimes when you're teaching scripture and, and you, you, know, you say this or whatever, I feel like you're talking directly to me. Here's the deal. Jesus is talking directly to you. I don't talk to you. When I do my sermon prep, I'm more into the Word of God and listening to God. Uh, I mean, I'm obviously thinking of the application for you and for us, for me. But I don't sit there and think about individuals in our congregation or anything like that when I'm preparing a message. I'm preparing a message. I'm really more focused on Jesus. I'm really more focused on God. And then the application will just kind of pour out of that study of Scripture. And so sometimes when you say, well, well it's like you were talking directly to me, I don't necessarily think about you personally when I'm preaching. But Jesus does. And that's why when the Word of God comes out, you will feel like Jesus is calling you will feel like it. Le Leslie felt it last week. She felt like Jesus is calling. <laughs> and it was extremely personal. Because there are times, I think, Jesus talks directly to you through his word. And it's personal because he loves you and because he wants a relationship with you. Now, if you're a person here this morning and you believe, well, I'm not hearing the call of God in my life, or I've never felt like Jesus was specifically calling me a lot of times that's because of two things, I think. I think it's because of the noise in your life, that you just can't hear them, you can't settle, you just busy yourself with so much stuff, you just, there's just no time or, or, or a season where you'd be able to hear the call of God, feel the presence of God in your life. And the second thing, I think, is sin. Because the Bible says that sin separates us from God, and so if you are um, deep in sinfulness, then you're obviously going to feel distance from God. And it's not that Jesus doesn't stop calling you specifically, it's just that you just can't hear it because of your sinfulness. But we find out here that Jesus calls people specifically. So seekers will always find the answers in Jesus. Jesus calls people specifically. The third thing we can learn from this encounter with Zacchaeus is that people receive Jesus joyfully because he loves them exactly where they are. People receive Jesus joyfully. Look at, look at verse 6. It says, so the Zacchaeus says, so he hurried down, he came down, and he received him joyfully as all Christians do. It was the poet Maya Angelou who said this, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that is exactly what happened here with Jesus and Zacchaeus. We have no record of what Jesus said when he went to his house. We, history doesn't tell us what Jesus did. We have no record of what Jesus did. But we know that Zacchaeus was changed forever after being with Jesus. I think it's probably because he felt loved. He felt loved. The fact is, love and acceptance lead the way to influence in someone's life. Love and acceptance lead the way to influence in someone's life. Hunter Ritchie, one of our elders that went on a mission trip 
um, with some of the people from our congregation. He's going to share later in the service. And, and one of the, the things I thought about after hearing him talk for service is that love and acceptance opens the door to influence in someone's life. And because that missions group went with love and acceptance to these kids in Nicaragua, they were opened up to influencing their lives. It's because of love and acceptance. It seems like that always precedes it. And Jesus understood this, and that's why he made people feel this way. He made you feel like you were the most important person on the planet because he loved you so much. And people receive Jesus joyfully because he loves them exactly where they are. Jesus doesn't say, hey, clean yourself up, and then I'll love you. Hey, get rid of the sin in your life. You need to get rid of all that stuff, and then I'll love you. No, Jesus loves them right where they're at, and then he helps them clean up their lives. He forgives their sin and purifies them from all unrighteousness. The fourth thing I want you to get this morning from this encounter with Jesus and Zacchaeus is that love can move you from the selfie life to the selfless life. Love can move you from the selfie life to the selfless life. And I'm telling you here this morning, if you don't like your life, any area of it, I'm just telling you it's the best life and love can change everything. It's the most meaningful life to follow Jesus and to love as he loved and to receive his love. It will give you a purpose to life. It actually gives you the original purpose of why you exist. To be in relationship with God. To live a life in Jesus Christ. To walk in fellowship with God every day. You see, people with a reshaped purpose, they understand that it's not just about me, myself, and I. It's not about me and my selfie world, but it is actually about others. And if I want the most fulfillment in life, if I want the best life that I can possibly have in this world and to feel better about myself and to be happier and to be more content, contented, more, more fulfilled in life, then I have to do that by loving others because it reshapes our purpose in life. Because you realize it's not just about me. And God's love can reshape that purpose in your life and give you purpose that actually matters. You know, when Zacchaeus was uh, meeting with Jesus here, there was a moment, and we, we don't really read it in the text because the text just shows us the result of the meeting. It says there in, in verse 8 that, that, that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. We see the, the, uh, the object of the repentance that had happened in his life. But there was a moment there, I guarantee you, in that house, when Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus just, just finally surrenders. And he says, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I need you. Zacchaeus had that felt need in his heart, and he said, I've had all the riches, I've had all the money, I've had all the clout being in the position I'm in as a chief tax collector. But I have no hope. <laughs> Nothing in my life really matters. I, I mean, I give it all away in a second, but I just had purpose and meaning. And Jesus comes into his life, and he gives him that purpose that he was looking for. And I don't know where everyone's at this morning. I like to imagine in a congregation this size that we have some seekers. Some of you are here this morning because you are, are a seeker. You came, just like he said in verse 3, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. That's why we're here. 
you've been looking at Christians, you've been looking at churches, and you're like, I just, I, I'm seeking, I just want to know, I just want to know who Jesus is. I'm here this morning to tell you that Jesus loves you. He wants a relationship with you. That he came to earth, the whole reason he came was on a mission to die for you, to purify you from all unrighteousness, and to deliver you out of a sinful life and into a holy life where you'll find meaning and purpose, and it's the best life you've ever had. That's why there's so many happy Christians in this church, and they're not miserable people. It's because they're not living for themselves. They're living for Jesus. But you have to be ready to receive him. How does Zacchaeus receive him? What did it say there? He received him joyfully. It's going to be a lot of joy. Are you there this morning? Do you need cleansing from your sins? I mean, are you ready to be done with the selfie life? Then I want to invite you, as we sing this song, to acknowledge that you need Jesus. The song we're going to sing says, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And I believe that that's where Zacchaeus was. And that's where we all have to come to this moment in our lives where we acknowledge, we say, God, I need you. I can't do it my own way anymore. I need you to save me. I need you to give me hope. I need you to help me. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning and invite you to come and talk to somebody about that relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it really, truly makes all the difference. Love can shape your purpose in life. Let's pray.